In our time of study together this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' incarnation to become one of us. You know, I was thinking of the many stories that I've heard of those who have been selfless, who have been incognito, who leaders who have tried to be in contact with their subjects. One of the stories that, that, uh, that is perhaps uh, remarkable in history, there are many different stories we could tell, even of some current leaders, but one of them happens to be from the country of Thailand. Now, it was the kingdom of Siam at this time when the story is told. And a farmer from one of the provinces tells this story of how his family became the owners of a precious heirloom rifle that uh, they hold. Some 100 years ago, the grandfather of this farmer had received a group of visitors. Uh, There were strangers who were visiting the village. Now, the leader, the obvious leader of the strangers, uh, was clearly somebody wealthy and powerful, uh, but he was very, very friendly, and he showed a great interest in the farmer's grandfather as well as in the village in general. In fact, the grandfather invited him over to his house, and the, the visitors enjoyed a meal with the grandfather and the family. At a certain time, at a moment during their, their meal, uh, the grandfather expressed his admiration for the rifle that uh, this visitor had. And uh, the stranger said that, well, since he had been so war- welcomed so warmly, he would like to give this farmer a, a rifle such as this. If he could only come to the city, to Bangkok, and visit him, he would do so. Before he left, he gave him a piece of paper with his address on the paper. Now, sometime later, the, the old farmer, the grandfather of the, the farmer that's alive today, he, he, uh, he had a reason to go into Bangkok, so he goes to Bangkok, and he's going through the city. He has no idea what part of the, the town this, uh, this address would be at, and so he begins asking people, and to his surprise, everybody he asked knew which way to tell him to walk. And so he continued until, to his astonishment, he arrived outside of the royal palace. Now, he showed his piece of paper to the palace guards, but they weren't inclined to allow him to enter until a large delegation began to come out of the gates. And there he saw the stranger, the stranger who had been in his house, eating in his home, who had offered him such uh, generosity. And uh, the stranger saw him and recognized him and called him over to himself and invited him back in the palace. The grandfather was shocked to realize that his kind visitor back in the village on that day had been the king himself. Moreover, the king did exactly what he had promised, and he gave the grandfather a magnificent gun um, inscribed with his initials. The king's first name was Chulalongkorn. I won't try to pronounce the rest of his name, but His initials were C-P-R, and the family still has that rifle today. You think of these these nobility, these royal families, these kings, these rulers who are so humble to go into the houses of their subjects, and our hearts are filled with admiration. In fact, I found the story in a book um, called Worshiping the Great Modernizer, talking about King Chulalongkorn. You have to understand in the 
Buddhist mindset. Um, they don't have deities like we have deities, so we don't, they don't, uh, it's not that they're making a god out of him, but this is how it says. The story of the precious gun is but one example of a story that says the king loved his subjects so much that he decided to go and see with his own eyes how they lived what their needs were, and how he could improve their circumstances. The king interacted with his subjects in an intimate manner. Basically, the story reconfirms the image of King Chulalongkorn as a benevolent and concerned ruler. Now, this writer, I don't believe, knows the God that I serve. Because if the earthly rulers could so and warm our hearts by going and seeing with their own eyes how their subjects fared. How can we compare that with the ruler of heaven and earth? Not just going to planet earth to see how his subjects fared, but becoming one of them, to live with them, to be one of them, not just for time, but for eternity. Father in heaven, as we open your word today, we just want to pray that God, that you would send your spirit to touch our hearts, that God, you would give us a better understanding of who you are and your great love that you have for us, that you sent Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 9. And we're going to sort of frame our Bible study around this passage today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. And when you're there, if you could just say amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. And Paul says this, For you know that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This passage is packed with meaning. But we're going to look at three different aspects of the condescension of Jesus here this morning. Three different aspects of Jesus' condescension. First of all, we're going to look at the prior condition of our Savior. And the Bible here is clear that He was rich. In what way was He rich? How can we see that He was rich? And secondly, the condescension of our Savior. He became poor. How did He become poor? In what way did He become poor? And finally, the effect and consequences, the result of that condescension, that we might be made rich. Is this an agreeable plan for us today? Do you have your Bibles ready? Let's do a Bible study on these three thoughts and just see what we can learn about Jesus, our King, our King, who loves us very, very much. You know, some of the thoughts from this sermon I I came across as I was reading, and I found a a message by... by, um, and now, now my mind's drawing a blank. Um, the great, the great uh, English preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And, um, and as, as he was, he was uh, speaking, he spoke on this text in part, and um, he shared several thoughts, not these verses, not this Bible study, but I'm going to share with you several thoughts that he shared as he went through this discussion of Jesus' condescension. So first of all, first of all, we can see that Jesus 
was eternal. We're talking about his prior condition here. So we're going to start in Colossians, and we're going to look at how Jesus, um, how Jesus had eternity uh, before he came here uh, to live and die as a human being. He was eternal. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17 says this, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The Bible is very clear here. Jesus is not a human being just like us. Now, I believe that Jesus came to understand us. I believe Jesus came to be our example. But I think that we should be very careful not to try to make Jesus altogether such a one as ourselves because Jesus was God, wasn't he? Jesus had an eternal pre-existence before his incarnation as a babe in Bethlehem. Jesus is the one who inhabits eternity. Jesus is the one who is the creator, it says here who, um, who uh, by, all, by Him all things um, exist. And so Jesus was eternal. He had that capacity, and um, he, he was God Himself. Not only that, he, the Bible tells us that Jesus had everything. You know, sometimes we give our tithes and our offerings, and we, we, may, might even, um, we might even talk like God needs us. Listen, God doesn't need us. We need to give so that God can bless us. That's the fact of the matter. God does not need our tithes or our offerings. If God needed something, He wouldn't ask us. It's not because He needs. It's because He wants us to have the blessing of giving, that He asks us to be faithful in returning our tithes and offerings. Notice with me Psalm chapter 50 and verses 10 through 12. It says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all its fullness. Now that pretty much sums up how Jesus Christ possesses all things. When you want to talk about rich, that's rich, okay? Now, there's no other standard of rich besides that. That is, if you own everything, that's pretty much the epitome of being rich. Jesus was rich as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus possessed all things. He was the King of heaven and of earth. Not only did He possess everything, but if He ever wanted anything that He didn't have... He had creative power. Now, that's taking it another level yet, isn't it? He had creative power. John chapter 1 and verse 3. John chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So, Jesus had eternity. He was eternal. He possessed eternal, e- eternal life. He was the giver and sustainer of life. He possessed all things on, in heaven and in earth. Not only that, He had creative power, we find in John chapter 1 and verse 3, but also we notice that Jesus was the recipient of worship and adoration and praise. Now, that means that in the heavenly choirs, if we were to, in the heavenly courts, if we were to be there, we would hear the choirs tuning up, and we would ask them the question, who are you going to sing about? And they would say, Jesus. And we would ask them the question, who are you going to sing for? And they would say, Jesus. We would ask them, "What what are you going to honor, who are you going to honor and glorify? And they would say, Jesus. They exist to glorify God upon the throne. And that was Jesus. Jesus was God Himself. He he possessed worship and praise. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6. 
We don't turn to the book of Nehemiah very often, so I hope you've done that with me today. Uh, but this is what the, uh, this is what the uh, Levites are singing, and this is what he says. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the, host, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the sea, seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Who's the creator? Who does the host of heaven worship? Jesus. Oh, my friends, you have to understand, when Jesus, before he was incarnate, he was the one who the angels loved to worship. They loved to praise. They wanted to talk about. They wanted to adore him. They wanted to please him. They wanted to serve him. Imagine the contrast of going from heaven where Jesus is the possessor of eternity. He's the possessor of everything material. He has creative power. He has worship and praise of all the beings. Is it fair to say with the Apostle Paul today that he was rich? Is it fair to say? Our text that we read says, though he were rich, yet he became, what does it say? He became poor. Oh, oh friend, I believe it's fair to say that Jesus Christ was indeed rich, that he possessed the, the, uh, the wealth and the riches of all of eternity. Can we give him anything that he does not have? Can we, can we, well, all we can really give him that he wants is our worship in our hearts. Though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Let's look now at the second part of this verse. It says, he became poor for your sakes. I think that's very important here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, it, this, this verse just jumps out at, at, at me, first of all. Why is it that he became poor? It wasn't because he wanted the admiration of his subjects. He already had that. It wasn't because he didn't know what was going on in the far-flung realms of his kingdom that he came to earth. He already knew our condition. Jesus came to planet earth, giving up everything that he had for one reason. The why in this question is, for your sake and for mine. For your sake and for mine, we believe that Jesus Christ left everything that he had and, and he gave up the, 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 some of the very characteristics of the Godhead. The Bible says the Word became flesh in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But as Jesus became flesh, he gave up some of those characteristics that he had. He gave up the ability to be omnipresent everywhere at once. He became a human being like you and I. Yes, there may have been miraculous ways where he could travel or be transported or be hidden from view. We, we believe that, of course. The Bible records it. And by the way, human beings like Philip and others were also transported in miraculous ways. But Jesus became a human being. He's capable of being in one time and one place at any instant. He, he's, he's, he, has, he has accepted the limitations that you and I have to become one of us. He gave up his characteristics, some of the characteristics even of the Godhead. He became flesh capable of feeling pain, of being hurt. He became flesh struggling with 
temptations, struggling with the attacks of the enemy. He became flesh, capable of dying. Not just of being hurt and of bleeding, but of dying. Oh, the God of heaven, for your sakes, became poor. How did He do it? He he did it by becoming flesh. Another way that Jesus Christ became poor for our sakes is that He had no home. From having all possessions in heaven and earth, He had no home. Notice with me His message in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20. When you're there, you can say amen. We're looking here at Jesus giving up all things, Him becoming poor for our sakes. And it says here, He says in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Imagine Imagine that, the king of heaven not even owning any property, not having any material possessions, having nothing to his name, not a place to rest. He was dependent upon the kindness and the generosity of others. He slept out at times, in the, he spent nights in the open air. Jesus had no home, no place to call his own. Not only that, he sometimes was hungry. Do you realize that? From the one who had creative power, he could have spoken those rocks and made them into loaves of bread, couldn't he have? Remember, in the temptation in the wilderness? And Satan was even there to encourage him to do so. He was hungry. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he had the creative power. He was still fully God, and even though he had given up his omnipresence, he hadn't given up his omnipotence. God was still incarnate in human flesh. He could have created those stones, made them into bread. But to do so would have been to serve himself, an act of selfishness in contrast to the character of divine love. So there were times in Jesus' earthly life when Jesus simply went hungry. We know about the 40 days. That was of his choice. But notice with me in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 and verse 12. It wasn't the last time that Jesus would be hungry. There wouldn't, wouldn't be the last time that Jesus would miss a meal and be looking for food. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 12, we find the story. It says as they, they were leaving Bethany. Now it came the next day when they had come out from Bethany, He, Jesus, was hungry. And verse 13, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. Jesus is hungry. He sees a fig tree. It purports to have fruit on it. He's hungry. He goes looking for food, and the fig tree is empty, barren, no fruit at all. And as Jesus leaves the fig tree, you remember there's that curse that he places upon it. Oh, it wasn't a selfish curse. It was a symbolic curse, but we don't have time to spend on that thought today. The point I want to make to you is that Jesus really did become poor for your sake and for mine. Poor enough that he became flesh. Poor enough that he had no home. Poor enough that he was hungry, had no food to eat at times, but poor enough also that he was persecuted. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 
Let's turn there and read these three or four verses together. Matthew chapter 27 and verses 27 through 31. You know the story how Jesus is being brought before His own people to be tried and, and uh, being turned over to the Roman governor and so forth. And the Bible says in Matthew 27 and verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around Him, and they stripped Him and put a scarlet robe on Him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on His head, and He re in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head, driving those, na- those thorns into his brow. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Jesus was persecuted. Our scripture today in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus humbled himself not only to become a man, not only to become a servant, not only to die, but he humbled himself even unto the death of the cross. Why did he do it? For your sake and for mine. Though he were rich, yet he became poor. Oh, friends, What an amazing, amazing story this is of someone who had everything, but he gave it up. He gave it up for you. He gave it up for me. You see, there's, 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 there, are fewer peop- there are few people who understand better the pains of being poor than those who have once been rich. And Jesus didn't... He wasn't a stranger to the courts of heaven above. He didn't know. He, he wasn't ignorant of the praise and the adoration of the angels. He, he, wasn't, he, wasn't a, he wasn't a stranger to having things and having the creative power. In fact, he still possessed it. But for your sakes and mine, he laid it aside. There's nothing we can see no one can understand the loss of wealth like Jesus. Though he were rich, yet he became poor. Charles Spurgeon commented on this thought. He says this, and wonder, now wonder, ye angels, The infinite has become an infant. He upon whose shoulders the universe doth hang, hangs at his mother's breast. He who created all things and bears up the pillars of creation hath now become so weak that he must be carried by a mother woman. And, O wonder ye that knew him in his riches while you admire his poverty, where sleeps the newborn king? Had he the best room in Caesar's palace? Hath a cradle of gold been prepared for him and the pillows of down on which to rest his head? No, where the ox fed in the dilapidated stable and the manger, there the Savior lies swathed in the swaddling bands of the children of poverty. Nor doth he rest there long. On a sudden his mother must carry him to Egypt. There he goes and becomes a stranger in a strange land. Why? Though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. But that's not all. The passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, verse, uh, verse 9 doesn't end there. Finally, it says that through his poverty we might become rich. 
we might become rich. Look with me at a couple of verses here on this subject as well. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 7 through 9. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 7 through 9. And this is what Paul marvels at. Why did he do all this? He did it for our sakes. He did it so that we might be made rich. And um, he says here in Hebrews and in, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 7 through 9, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We become riches, we become recipients of the exceeding riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so Jesus first wants to make us rich as we become recipients of His grace. When we can say, hallelujah, though I were guilty of the worst sins, I have become clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's rich, my friends. That's what true riches is really, the exceeding riches of His grace, he says here. This is what Paul is marveling about as he sees the transaction that God wants to give to those who are undeserving. Though he were rich, he became poor, that, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. Not only that, we are made riches in possessions. We are made rich in our possessions. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. And here we find a, uh, another apostle um, marveling at what Jesus has done for us. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. Just after his greeting to the elect and, and the diaspora, the many who were scattered around the kingdom of Rome. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, that's what we just talked about, His exceeding riches of His grace, through His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now I want, to, I want you to understand something, friends. You don't have to own a piece of property here on this earth to be rich. I want you to understand that you don't have to have anything to your name or anything in your bank account in order to be rich. Because my Bible tells me that besides the riches of His grace, the pardon that He provides for us through Jesus Christ, through His becoming poor for me, the, my Bible tells me that He also has laid up an inheritance for me of exceeding riches in the heavenly uh, kingdom. Notice it says, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's as if you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance of something that you are going to inherit. You know, I heard a story one time of an old man, and he had a lot, a lot of wealth, so much wealth. Well, when he was to pass away, you know who was going to get it. His son was going to get it, right? And just like that, you have an old man, and I have an old man who's going to pass away. And when our old man passes away, we become heirs of the riches of heaven. Now, it's not Jesus that passes away, you understand. I sort of switched the illustrations there a bit. But the old man is the old man of self and sin in my life. And when Jesus passes away, when, when that 
old man passes away, I become the bona fide recipient of an inheritance in the heavens. An inheritance where moth and rust of not corrupt, thieves can't break in and steal, treasure laid up in heaven, friends, it's real. And you and I own it today only because of Jesus. Because Jesus, for, his, for our sakes, He became poor, that we through His poverty might become rich. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior we are. Do you say, I don't have anything? Oh, but you have everything. You have the riches of inheritance. Now, what's amazing is, what's amazing is, possessions as we know them today are finite. You understand what I'm saying about that? In other words, it's, it's like comparing. It's comparing a bowl of water, finite, measurable, you know how much it is, with a fountain of water. Now, at any given moment, there could possibly be more water in the bowl. But what Jesus promises is us is not a bowl of water or a, a finite amount of possessions. What Jesus promises us is an infinite supply. Oh, it's amazing what God promises for us. Not just a finite, but an infinite supply of whatever we need, whatever we can, um, whatever we can uh, require in order to be saved. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs. What does it say? Who will supply? My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Now, do you think the riches that are in Christ Jesus are sufficient for your needs? I rather think they are. My God. Now, sometimes we don't understand how that's going to happen. We face, we face needs. We come up short. It might be financially. It might be physically. It might, might, might be emotionally or spiritually. But the promise is there, friends. A fountain springing up that will never stop. A God who can supply all of your needs. And it's not based upon how wealthy we are, but how rich He is. It's an amazing, amazing thing that God can supply all of our needs. When God supplies our needs, He does it very well. So we are rich in pardon, we are rich in possessions, we are rich in provisions, and lastly, we are made rich in promises. Promises. Second Peter now, chapter 1. And verse 4. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. And this is what the apostle says. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Listen, this is an amazing passage. This passage tells us that the promises in the Bible, they are exceeding great 
and precious promises. They are very, very valuable. And we become the recipient of them through Jesus. And through those great and precious promises, we become partakers of, it says, the divine nature. Now, let me tell you, if the promises are precious, imagine how valuable the divine nature itself must be. Divinity wants to be clothed in humanity, and not just 2,000 years ago at the Incarnation. Divinity desires to be clothed in your humanity. Divinity desires to be lived out in your life. Divinity desires to use your hands and your feet and your mouth, your, your heart, to bless and to give and to inspire and to minister and to be a fountain of blessing to others. Imagine how valuable that is. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful promise we have. And not just this promise, but the promises, the, all the promises that it entails by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, uh, would you agree with me and the Apostle Paul that Jesus really does make us rich? Yes. Oh, yes. Now, we're not talking about our, our pocketbook. We're talking about better riches, more valuable, more lasting, eternal riches. Oh, Jesus, who was rich, He became poor. He really did. He was really rich, and He really did become poor so that we really can become rich. What an amazing God, an amazing God we serve. You see, there's, when I think about what Jesus has done, I can't help but can imagine what He's going to do. Did you ever think about that? You know, you've heard me say it before, I don't believe, I don't think you believe that Jesus was born on December 25. We understand the history, we understand. But we also understand that the world during this time of year has hearts that are softened to the story of Jesus. We understand that we should think of Jesus not just this time of year, but all year long. I can't just preach on the Incarnation. I have to also preach about Jesus' life and His death and that He's coming again soon. You see, we understand the Incarnation, but we ask ourselves these questions. If Christ in His poverty, in His coming and being a man and living and dying here on this earth, if Christ in His poverty made us rich, what can He do for us now that He's glorified? If the man of sorrows saved my soul, will the man of the man who is now exalted to the right hand of the throne of the majesty of the heavens, will he allow that soul to perish? If the dying Savior availed for our salvation, should not the living and interceding Savior abundantly secure it? I love the passage in Romans chapter 8 where it says, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul there, he says, he says look, if he... If, 
if he loved us so much, I'll just turn there because I just can't, I, I, I love the way, the way Paul says it. He says in verse, verse, 20, uh, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That is to say, my friends, if Jesus was given as a gift to planet Earth, if Jesus would go to the cross and die for your sins and mine, if Jesus, though he were rich, would become poor, listen, it only stands to reason that God already has an investment in you, right? He already has something that he's paid a down payment into your salvation. And when you've made a down payment, you care about finishing the transaction, right? When you made a down payment that thing is even more valuable to you than before and Jesus has has been poured out by heaven as a gift to planet earth and and Paul here says if he's given us his son how shall he not with him also freely give us all things if Jesus has been given listen you can be sure of one thing you have an open blank check already written in heaven because anything and I repeat anything that you need in order to be saved Jesus is going to provide for you. There's no, there's no limit. He doesn't say, well, you know, I'll, I'll give you this much grace. I'll give you this much grace, and then no. That's as far as, listen, he already gave us Jesus. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things, everything that you and I need in order to be saved, he's going to give us. Oh, what an amazing Savior we have. Um, I read again, you know, I came across, I, as I was finishing my message today, I came across this sermon by Charles Spurgeon, and I don't, I don't usually read a lot of sermons or listen to sermons when I'm preparing, because I want God to speak to me from the Word of God as I'm, as I'm preparing, but I found, I just happened to come across this passage, and I thought, wow, how, how well Charles Spurgeon um, states some of these things. He says this, "'If when the nail was in thine hand, O Jesus,' Thou didst rout all hell. Can you be defeated now that you have grasped the scepter? If when the thorn crown was put upon thy brow, thou didst prostrate the dragon, can you be overcome and conquered now that the acclamation of angels are ascending to thee? No, my brethren, we can trust the glorified Jesus. We can repose ourselves on his bosom if he was so strong in poverty, what must he be in riches? Oh, friends, I have to ask you the question today. Though he were rich, yet became, he became poor, that through our, his strength, his poverty, we might be made rich. I have to ask you the question. Have you been made rich by Jesus' poverty? The Bible, our scripture for today, it, it says this. Let this mind be in you who is in Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he was willing to become a servant. Let this mind be in you who is in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of the cross. You want that mind? You want that experience? Therefore, the Bible says, verse 9, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, verse 10 says, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I think of the incarnation, it's not just the incarnation. It's that he's alive. He wants to do a work in our hearts and lives. Will we let him this Christmas season? Father in heaven, for our sake, your son became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. Lord, today, I just want to pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts. Maybe, maybe we don't know Jesus as our personal Savior. Perhaps we've, we have, but we've just sort of wandered away from him. Today, we have an opportunity, Lord, to just accept him as the Savior and Lord, the King and ruler of our lives once again. We thank you that your goodness leads us to repentance. We thank you that for our sakes, you who were rich consented to be made poor. So today, Father, we just want to pray that Jesus might, might give us those riches that really matter, that we might have them during this Christmas season, that we might be a, a fountain of blessing to bless others around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.